Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. Welcome back to the Femi Pod for episode number 42. You're here with your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell, and we are so excited for this chat. Today, we welcome the first ever male to the podcast. An ex-athlete himself, James Mortimer, is a longtime friend and an incredible athletics coach to many New Zealand best sprinters. James has coached multiple women to national titles across sprint distances and recently had huge success with New Zealand's fastest woman, Zoe Hobbs. Zoe broke the Oceania 100 meter record and made it through to the semifinals at the World Champs and placed sixth at the Commonwealth Games, all under the guidance and support of James. James would have to be one of the leading sprint coaches globally, and we are lucky to call him Kiwi. James, welcome to the FemiPod. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Can you tell us a bit about your sporting background? Obviously, we know you were an extremely talented athlete yourself and now head up sports at Diocesan School for Girls, where both Lydia and I actually started our running coaching careers. So thanks for that. Um, But if you take us back to when you were an athlete, what got you into sport and what impact has it had on you to date? I first got into athletics, actually tagging along to watch my uh, older sister down at the local Tall Bay Athletics Club. Um, I was three years old, um, looked looked like fun, got involved, um, and literally never looked back since. Um, since I retired about six years ago, I actually ran for, for 30 seasons in a row. Um, and I was very, very stoked that I could do that. And um, yeah, I mean, athletics basically has, has really just shaped my life. Everything... I have done or traveled or um, have been involved with, you know, all my best friends, um, the great people that I've met along the way have all really come from a track background. So, uh, yeah, I just love it and, and really live it and breathe it, you could say. And you specialized in sprint distances too, didn't you, and hurdles, is that right? Yeah, I started off with the 110 meter hurdles, um, had a few sort of injuries along the way and made myself, uh, like pushed myself out to the 400 meter hurdles. Um, got the same injury on the other leg and Achilles issue. And then, um, yeah, just really looked at why that was happening. And then again, like I just loved that track so much that I just wanted to stay in, in it. So um, ended up tracking out Matt Dello, who's um, become one of my, a really good mate of mine. And, and we ended up just running 100s and 200s. Um, and yeah, just, just to stay in it and just to see how fast I could run and um and ended up actually doing a PB on my last ever race at, at age 33 over the 200 metres. So I was, I was super stoked to, to basically go out with a bang. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Mm. And if you're going to do any distance and get injured, I'd say it would be the hurdles. <laughs> I don't know how people jump hurdles. Um, but what about coaching? Tell us a little bit about your coaching. Like, why did you get into it? And what is it that you love about coaching? Again, I, I, just, I just wanted to stay in the sport. I guess I was so just involved with it. I didn't really have any ideas of what I wanted to do post um, my individual events. So, um, yeah, in the last about two, three years of my own individual career and and coming across Matt Dello as well, who really taught me a lot more around the body and and training and things like that, it it really sparked an interest for me. Um, And that's when I actually took on Zoe was one of actually my first athletes. 
along with um, Daniel Dye and, and Mackenzie Keenan, um, who are really good athletes early on as well. So I was pretty lucky to get some pretty good talent straight away. But I still used, had the guidance of Matt and a, another good coach of mine, Paul Gamble. And they sort of, yeah, just really taught me. And, and I still use them as mentors today around um, the coaching and my coaching ideas. And, and a lot of my philosophies are based around those two guys. So um, I was pretty privileged to, to have those guys that I could talk to and, and listen to as well. So That's so cool and amazing to see Zoe progress under you. And obviously one of your first athletes as well. That's pretty awesome to see how far she's come alongside you as the coach. But when did you realize you had such a talent for working with athletes and in particular female athletes? Like you obviously have an incredible ability to build these women up both mentally and physically and get them ready for competition. But yeah, when did you realize you were like, oh, actually I'm pretty good at this and <laughs> my athletes are doing awesome. Yeah, yeah I'm, I don't know what it is about the, the female side of it. I mean, um, I, I have always had the bulk of my athletes have been female. I don't know if it's, it's just an athletics thing in New Zealand and, and sprints where there's a lot more female that stick around. Obviously, a lot of males go and play rugby or league or get into other things um, or that the competition side of it is quite tough. But I mean, I, I love working with the girls that I've got and, and a lot of them now have you know become very good friends and, and to see them go from girls to women and, and be such an amazing athlete. So I'm, I'm pretty pretty privileged of, of what has come my way as well I mean looking at you know what when I first invited Zoe into the squad and things like that I mean I, I knew she was pretty talented but just to see her grow to where she is and where she's going is is really exciting and, and it, it really spurs on the other girls that have have joined the squad and, and are coming through the ranks as well the likes of Georgia Hulls and Izzy Neal and and even youngsters like Talia Van Ruin and other girls like that yeah it's funny I, I definitely think you undersell yourself I think you do have an incredible ability at working with girls in particular and it is interesting when you say more girls stick around in sprinting because we don't do know that the dropout rates of girls in sport is a lot higher than boys and to know that girls are you know staying in athletics as a sport is pretty cool and I think something you definitely should be pushing even harder for girls to stay in but as a coach and through the coaching that you do especially with these girls we know like the importance of personalized coaching and personalizing the approach that you take with each individual athlete especially when it comes to women in their menstrual cycles how do you adapt training for your athletes depending on their cycle and how do you take this into, into account when you have such a big squad of women who probably are not all in sync? I mean, that's, that is one thing that I do really pride myself on is, is trying to get through to the individual and, and program to the individual. And I'm, I'm really still learning around the whole training and training to your menstrual cycle and things like that. And, and so it's, it is a bit of a challenge as well. Um, a lot of that I have found and what I'm trying to read is, is a lot of the, the information is all around endurance athletes as well, um, because obviously that's where a lot of it has first stemmed from. Um, so to find some really in-depth knowledge and, and papers and research around the power events, is I've sort of found it has been a little bit difficult, but obviously there's so much research going on at the moment that uh, especially around this area it, it is starting to come through to the forefront and um, you know listening to some podcasts and and just 
talking to to male coaches as well and how they've they've looked at doing it and talking to female coaches and and researchers and things like that too it's is becoming a lot easier trying to to sync you could say all the girls into one it would be great because obviously I, I work a lot in a three-week cycle as well um, in terms of training because I've just sort of found that's that's what helps in terms of injuries and, and things like that too. And yeah, it, it is difficult to basically, you know, I think conversation and communication is the biggest thing for me because um, a lot of girls show signs and, and deal with it all differently as well. I, I mean, I'm, I could say that I'm pretty lucky in terms of I don't have any girls that really struggle each month. You know, they're not sort of at home missing training or anything like that. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky there. But, you know, definitely open to if they need a rest day or if we need to adjust, then I'm not going to stick to the plan just because that's what I've, what I've got written down. Mm. That's awesome. And when you talk about like conversations and communication between yourself and your athletes, you obviously are really comfortable having these conversations. And mm. it seems like your girls are comfortable having them with you too which is amazing and definitely what we want to encourage with coaches who are working with women how did you get so comfortable having these conversations and bringing up topics like menstrual cycles with these girls um I mean I've got some pretty good leaders in my group and they just so happen to be you know professionals in the field you know people like Libby Wilson um, who's a physio and and a great physio and and a really smart and switched on athlete um, and the likes of Portia being, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're close to their 30s and, you know, they they see, the younger girls see the older girls sort of talking to me about that sort of stuff and and it kind of just opens it up. Um, and I'm, I'm, I kind of, I don't tiptoe around it either in terms of, you know, the language that I use. Um, but I think you still have to play it pretty careful in terms of if you've got some young ones, you know, they, they sort of, eyes go wide open if you start talking around menstrual cycles and you know time of the month and and things like that so sometimes uh, they the older girls do chat to them as well in terms of that sort of thing so you kind of have a few little moles in the group and um they give you intel around what's sort of happening and um bits and pieces but yeah a lot of the girls are pretty open about it and and i'm and and into it it's about just picking up signs and just sort of acknowledging it and just might be a small conversation and then just dealing with it, not trying to highlight anything or get too, for me, it's not about getting too deep into it because also too, I'm, I'm not highly knowledgeable in it. So I don't want to make out that I am, but yeah, I, I mean, I've got actually, I picked up a great thing the other day from a podcast around using the, the seasons of the year in terms of how to pick it up um, you know, around training and things like that too, where winter things are not going right and you just want to rug up cold and put a blanket on um, and then spring you're starting to come out of it and summer is where, you know, you want to get out and exercise and things like that. So that's where you really, you know, start to train pretty hard and and then obviously autumn you're coming back into it and things like that. So using that sort of analogies and, and language is, is definitely helpful and for me to pick up those sorts of things where it's, makes things a lot more comfortable so yeah it's so interesting and I think those older athletes or the the ones you were talking about before like you've helped to create that culture so you should be like really proud of 
what you've done with that group because you know those women are comfortable talking to you about it as well because of the way you've talked to them about it so mm. it's kind of like a circle and mm. it drips or it goes from the top down which is really awesome um, and obviously that three-week training periodization I guess that you use it's interesting that you do three weeks and you find that helps with injury because I think that's pretty much what we do as well at Femi you know you mm you pull back a bit in that fourth week of the cycle and it's, you know, proving with you and your athletes to work really well as well. So even if you take away all the science behind it and you just think about that, it sort of aligns to the menstrual cycle as well, which is really cool to hear. I would love to just briefly ask you if you know, like as well, the difference between like, yeah, like anaerobic training and like that really intense power training versus aerobic. You don't have to go into it in detail, but is I wondered if you knew much about it because obviously a lot of the stuff that we know is probably more aerobic training but around the menstrual cycle I'm not sure if that's too scientific you don't have to <laughs> um I mean and, and how you actually how I use it within the cycle and things like that yeah um yeah I mean it's like going back to obviously the analogy of seasons and things like that you know it's summer uh, you know we really sort of just I guess get after training like you've got to the estrogen levels are sort of starting to rise and, and things like that. So, yeah, you've just got to basically um, utilize it and, and use use what na- is naturally occurring and, and, and I guess make the most of it in terms of training and knowing that you can, you know, train harder and, and recover harder. But obviously, too, you still got to be careful of other things. You don't want to suddenly just throw a whole block of training at them just because, you know, things are going well and, and they're in the right sort of cycle and bits and pieces um, because I think also to training to those exact cycles, is, it can get a bit messy um, and also to, you know, nationals is not always going to line up and, you know, be in your favour sometimes. Obviously, you know, we, we do a lot of competitions, so it's, it's weeks are different and, um, you know, and the intensities can change, which can bring things on earlier or delay them. Um, so we we do practice, you know, training hard and, and competing hard too when things might not feel great. Just because, I mean, we can't just suddenly ring up the meat promoters and say, "Hey, look, can you push this meat back a couple of days? It's not really syncing up for us." Um, so, and and being all individuals as well and different events and that they're targeting, it's um, it does make it a bit difficult. But I guess if you if you can train under a little bit of stress and a bit of bit of pain and as long as you know that you're going to be okay and I'm listening to the body and as long as you're listening to the body as well then we can sort of work together and prep it to be comfortable basically as well I mean we're lucky enough that some of our events are only last 11 seconds so it's it's not like you're out there for two and a half hours like you guys are in a marathon you know <laughs> sort of battling away um so we can we can um like you grit your teeth a little bit and knowing that it's not going to be too bad. I think Lids and I would probably be about 15 seconds for the hundred. <laughs> oh, you'll be quicker than that. You'll be quicker than that. <laughs> not that much quicker. <laughs> um, 
but there's obviously like quite still quite a lack of education around female physiology and sport and it both Lids and I have been really affected by that when we were growing up mm-hmm. with our coaches, uh, but also with the people just around us not really understanding the importance of a menstrual cycle. Uh, but it's awesome to see that that sort of thing is changing. And I think for the next generation of young girls, it hopefully will be a lot different. But you you recently completed the test pilot of Femi Theory. What is your take on the importance of education for those working with girls and women in sport and exercise? Um, yeah, I think it's key. I mean, like you sort of say, there's a... There's, not a lot around of it when we were sort of coming through and um, obviously me a little bit earlier than you guys, but um, I think there's still a lot of old school mentality in New Zealand of just, just train hard and you'll be fine. Just get after it. But I, you know, I'm, I'm trained a lot on the, the side of caution. I'd rather undercook an athlete than overcook them. Um, you know, doing the, the Femi theory and, and I'm still really get, making my way through it too, because it, it, it is, you know, some of the stuff's really interesting and you kind of got to go back and, and watch it a couple of times and listen to it and, and sort of go away and think and, and um, play with, around with it with some of the athletes and, and sort of come back to it. But um, I think it's, it's very important. I mean, there's so many young coaches coming through that are, are switched on in it, which is great. And there's a, there's a lot more female coaches coming through too, which is awesome. Um, and and it's, it is an area where, all coaches should be should be looking at it because I guess in a way it's a it's a little secret weapon I mean if you if you're not utilizing it then you're not really um being right to the athlete you're sort of disservicing them in terms of not listening to them not listening to their bodies and and um and you're not getting the most out of them so um the more you know about it and I mean you don't have to go fully into it and know everything about it and, and the basics is is sometimes enough and, and then you sort of get hooked on how it can work and, and bits and pieces. So you kind of just delve a little deeper, especially if you're sort of interested in it. And, and if you're like me, you've got 80% girls in your squad. I love that. It is, it is a little secret and hopefully a secret more and more people are going to know soon because, yeah, that lack of education is impacting so many people and, you know, when we go back to those statistics of trying to keep girls in sport, it does come down to education and people understanding how the female body works. So mm. we're so excited that you've done the course or doing the course and um, and helping us kind of spread the good knowledge that needs to be spread. We wanted to chat more about um, like the psychology of your athletes. So we know from recent research that many females lack confidence due to the society that we've grown up in. Are there things that you do with someone like Zoe Hobbs that helps to mentally prepare her for those big events such as the World Champs? I mean, she's she's a very quiet girl. And so sometimes you don't really know what's going on in her head till the end, I guess. But she's a she's very confident within herself. And, you know, she just quietly works away. And she's I, I guess she is talented in the way that she can just pick up stuff and and just goes out and does it then you know I do have a lot of young well not a lot but some girls in my group that you know confidence is is lacking a bit and I think it can come to, from as well like having girls that they aspire to be in this in the same squad you know they they always look up to them and, and it's all about role models but then they start to be in that environment and they start to compare themselves to their role models um, which is which is difficult, and then I mean, it's even so, even again, they become friends with their role models, and then you know the pressure's really on, and they start comparing themselves. But 
I mean, yeah, as a coach too, you go into major championships and, and all the work has, has basically been done. So you're just, you're just there to be their biggest cheerleader and really just pump up their tyres and make them feel like they're invincible and, and that they're going to go out and run a PB. Even if your own coaching mind, they're like, oh man, they're just, they're just not looking good or anything like that. But it's, it's that just giving them the confidence um, to go out and, and just do their best. And, and generally they will rise above what you actually think they would probably go and do. I mean, Zoe's a prime example for me where I think she's at a certain level and then she just hits the world stage and drops a bomb. And I'm just like, well, you know, where did that come from? I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready for that. I mean, Oceania's was a prime example. Um, first race of the winter, it was pouring down with rain and she runs, you know, Oceania record and, massive PB and I was sort of expecting that in about four or five weeks at world champs, which she then did, but you know, it builds confidence and, and for her consistency has been key this year. And that's, I think just because she's confident of going out there and running 11 one every single week now, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. So true. I think, yeah, you're right. Like confidence is built with over time, like doing, doing the things over and over again. Mm. And, um, yeah, obviously Zoe's got some sort of secret weapon up in her brain. <laughs> just, yeah. You know, go do that first race over there and just absolutely, yeah. that's so cool. But you obviously also coach some men in your squad as well. Mm-hmm. What are some of the key differences between the genders when it comes to training and competing? Um, at training, I think boys will just do what you tell them to do as girls will do it but they will have a little bit more question and and want to delve a little bit more deeper into the why just for learning they're not trying to question you or anything like that but it's it's more about they just want to know more or if if you give them a cue they will kind of ask for a different cue if they don't understand what you're trying to get out of which is great because it really challenges me to have several cues or ideas up my sleeve for different athletes um but guys will just yeah, really just either take it on board and just go out and do it or they will just keep grinding away until you have to sort of say, hey, no, nah, stop, you're doing it wrong. Did you get what I meant? And then they'll go, oh, no, nah, I didn't actually. And so you've sort of then got to bring in the cues um, and the, the questions. And I mean, that's one thing I, I kind of like about coaching and the style that I have is I like to question the athlete in terms of how did that feel rather than just telling them because um, it gives them a better understanding of of their bodies and and the way that they're moving their limbs and um, and it, it puts a little bit more onus on them and, and what they're trying to achieve rather than me just standing on the sideline barking at them, which is is quite different to a lot of other different coaches. So interesting. And then what about like at competitions? Do you feel like there is a difference in the the need that the athlete is asking of you between the men and the women? I think not so much the men and the women. Um, it comes down to the individual, I feel. Um, there's some people where, like, I, I can turn up to a Nationals or an Aussie Nationals or a World Champs or something and basically just sit on the side of the track and just go, yep, that looked good. Like at, at Commonwealth Games with Zoe, it was just like you're there just to give them a start or you're just there to hold their bag or you, you're basically just pinning their numbers on and stuff. But then there's other athletes where you kind of like, yeah, you are a bit more of a cheerleader. You, you're just really trying to ramp them up and excite them and tell them how good they look. 
and and just be the biggest cheerleader that they've ever had. And usually that's the younger athletes as well, because it's all, you know, suddenly you're on the start line with, with your heroes. And I've been in, you know, cases like that myself, um, where you're just in awe of the other international athletes and things like that. So you just either you bring them back down and just sort of say, hey, look, you know, we're just going to go out there, just warm up like you do. It's like every other Saturday um, and just execute your plan and, and everything will be will be good. Mm, so cool yeah I remember warming up um next to Shalane Flanagan at the New York Marathon and my mind was just yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty cool experiences though yeah exactly and and you take away you know you you kind of it's good for those young athletes to actually watch too and sort of say hey I'm, I don't actually warm up any different to what they are or you might pick up certain little things um I mean that's why I most like going to world champs and majors is I don't actually really half the time watch my own, own athletes I watch what the the good athletes are doing and and what they're not doing and if I'm doing the same I'm kind of like cool I'm on the right track myself like I see it as a lot of learning as a coach as well yeah that's amazing we know that there are huge gender inequalities when it comes to sport how can other male leaders in the sporting space help to support and encourage girls and women to stay in sport based off your experience coaching I think it's setting up the best environment for them Girls are pretty competitive, but then I think they're very competitive amongst their peers um, and their friends. Like they always just keep comparing themselves to their friends. Um, that's what I've sort of found or, or the, the people that they compete quite close to rather than sort of really looking outwards and going, okay, how can I get on the world stage? Like that's where they should start to compare. I think the circle is too small. Um, and then if, if that gets too hard, then that's when they do drop out. But I, I think, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's just about exposing them, I mean, women to the opportunities that are out there now too. And I mean, we're so lucky that they, they're becoming more and more common where new competitions are coming up where the, the actually, I actually find, you know, watching some women's sport is actually more exciting and, and sometimes easier to watch and it's more competitive um, than male sport. I mean, tennis is a prime example where it's like serve and hit and then that's it as a you know woman's tennis it can rally for about 10 minutes and it's, it's just a lot more exciting and, and you know and the equal pay thing there too it makes it the sponsorships are there so they get more exposure and you're, you're more exposed to the actual quality of the athlete so it's I think yeah having the the more competitions and things like that it's it's going to keep girls in it longer as well and give them opportunity to actually explore being a professional athlete as well which in the past hasn't really been an option for them um yeah mm. yeah it's hard as well in athletics as well when there's it's very hard to get into anything as well so there's very limited spots for kiwis mm. going to those events i know that you obviously had that experience with Zoe what was that like for you when when you know she definitely should have gone to a world event but wasn't able to get in because of the the standards and athletics New Zealand sort of puts on these these athletes yeah I mean I I kind of I see it in two different ways I mean it's it is very hard for these athletes to get into some of these events and you, you do feel sorry for them that they don't get to be exposed to it um and and sort of get that taste and want more from it but then I also see it as the world is getting really really good as well where the bottom is is just rising to the occasion as well so 
the actual standard is getting harder. So it's it's but then the New Zealand athletes and things like that have got to step up and, and match that as well. And and I I see that's what Zoe did. You know, it's she was very disappointed she didn't get to the Olympics due to the standards and things like that. But you've got to just accept it that that's that's the NZOC standard. And I mean it's been like that for 20 years. So it's not like it was something new. So you've just got to basically accept it, try and get better um, rather than just sort of going to the media and just keep complaining about it and not actually doing anything about it as an athlete. I mean, that's, that's probably the hardest way to put it. But, you know, when you just look at the standard of the world, it is it is getting pretty, pretty tough. Um, and again, it comes back to there's just more opportunity for for all athletes now too. And, and people see it as a career. Um, so they'll do anything to make their favourite thing career and, and earn money from it so it does make it tough it's awesome to see that Zoe did just take that challenge on and rise up and now look at it it's pretty amazing that those challenging situations can like bring the best out in some people you know yeah yeah and and too like she she kind of gets sick of sometimes the media coming back to it and saying oh you know you really stuck it up their nose and gave them the middle finger and whatnot and she goes well you know I was even the sort of question that she gets bugged her is, you know, really glad you stuck around. Um, and she was like, well, I was never going anywhere. It was just that it was something that I believed I should have been there. And she just put her head down and trained harder. And we really looked at the ways we could make her quicker. And, and she just worked hard at it. And, and I mean, the sheer just showed. Yeah, that's awesome. She just used it as fuel. Mm. That's cool. And then you kind of touched on it a little bit before, but what's it like for you as a coach of, of elite athletes when you're, when you're there watching your athletes on the world stage, it can obviously be a really tense situation for your, for yourself and the athlete. How do you manage that pressure for, for you? And like, how do you navigate those moments of, I guess, having to sit there and watch your athletes over a very short space of time, but it must be quite nerve wracking. Oh yeah. I, to be honest, I'd much rather be out there on the start line. You've got more control of what's happening you know the way you're feeling I, I just I'm just a ball of nerves really I don't really show it because I mean you don't want to show that to the to the athlete but yeah I, I get pretty pretty nervous on the bus ride to the from the village to the track but I guess too it's and that's the way I used to be as an athlete as well as soon as I stepped off the bus and onto the track it was like all nerves just sort of melted away because you're like okay I'm here to do a job I've, I'm comfortable in this oval office I know the surroundings. I know the people. I know nothing can sort of really come at me from left field. So, um, but yeah, as soon as I, I sort of drop them off at the tunnel and they go into the call tenter, that's where I'm sort of left alone and go go to find a quiet seat or yeah, go down by this finish line and just sort of I kind of stand by myself. I just uh, don't like to be talked to and just um, you know what's going to happen and, and looking at previous heats and times and. Um, yeah, just hope that nothing goes wrong as soon as that gun goes. But yeah, it's it's you make a mistake in the hundred meters. There's no real coming back for it. So if something does happen, I guess you've got a couple minutes to try and think of some positive things to really just hope work to to prep that athlete um, back up to a positive state. And sometimes we don't sort of debrief straight away after a race either. It's, you've got to give time for the athlete to be disappointed or or even the opposite. Be you know extremely happy and run off and see their parents and their boyfriends and girlfriends and um, just really sort of soak in the excitement of everything so I kind of just stand off in the distance and and let them be 
who they are as well. Yeah, it's interesting because as like a female athlete, I always, and I know Esther's the same, put a lot of pressure on ourselves to, you know, be competing and get particular results. And I think some of that pressure came from my support network, which included my coach. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes pressure and expectation can be good. But I think for a lot of girls, they really um, don't do well with a lot of pressure put upon them. How do you kind of like manage that? And I think you touched on it before briefly, but like what are the sort of things you would say to some of the girls who are going out to about to compete and are kind of looking to you for a bit of guidance or to give them that confidence? Like are there particular words or things you would say to them to make them feel good about the situation they're about to go in? Um, I mean, the, 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 and I do it with all my athletes. Um, the, the last thing I always do is just give them a fist bump and just go say, I just say, go and have fun you know, the work has been done. It just sort of puts them in it. I don't sort of go out there and go, this is your moment. I don't try and give them some sort of remember the Titans speech or anything like that. I mean, it would it would suck and wouldn't be very emotional or roaring anyway. Um, so I just, you know, just say go and have fun just and just execute your race basically. Yeah, because as soon as you put pressure on them, it's they'll start overthinking things and um, like I said before, you don't really have time to to make up mistakes in a hundred meters. I mean, if you if you get the start wrong in a marathon, you've got a fair while to fix it. But yeah, I, I mean, and it's just being composed as a coach as well. Just being calm, and and if you're calm, then they're calm. I mean, you can see it in some overseas coaches where they're really just trying to pump them up and say that they're the greatest and and then the athletes really start to believe it and if it doesn't happen then they're very disappointed and and you know things can pretty spiral out of control pretty quickly from there so yeah I just just stay calm and I'm a pretty quiet person anyway so uh, I think it does make it easier and they're they're pretty confident if I'm calm and and I just look after them and they know that they're supported and things like that so yeah like I said just just watch them and just if they need anything, if they need a drink, a banana, whatever, I'll just run off and go and get it. I'm not there to to give them any last minute cues or anything like that. Unless it's really looking bad, then I'll try and fix something. But it's all about just being their support person on the day because, I mean, out the back of the warm up area too, there's not a lot of people that are allowed out there. So that's not like they can turn to their parents or their, their, their real support person, the rock. So I'm sort of trying to be all in one. Um, boyfriend girlfriend parent you know I'm, I'm sort of everything they have at that moment so they have they have to trust me as well as as much as I trust them mm, I love that um, saying just go have fun like that's definitely what we try to push upon our athletes is like mm. the most important thing is that you're out there enjoying it and like whatever the result is is what the result's going to be and as long as you're you've had a good time doing it and especially in the journey and the build up and all the training, like you have to love it or else why do you do it really? So absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) We've got one last question before we go into our quick fire questions. Um, If a young girl is listening and wants to be a competitive athlete, when she grows up, what is one thing you would tell her to do right now? Uh, Go and have fun. Um, Don't put pressure on yourself to, to succeed at such a young age. Um, just go through the time of, of enjoying it and, and just, you know, set small goals that are just achievable um, and don't put time limits to them. Just just basically keep going through it, ticking the box and do a wide range of things too. I, I'm, 
I'm not really a fan of people that specialize. Um, it's, it's a real misconception that you've got to be specializing at such a young age and that's your journey. I mean, you, you just got to look at some of those most talented NFL players and things like that. There's, they're going into a draft and they're still deciding what sport they're going to play, if it's basketball, NFL or baseball. Like, um, But they all, all sports sort of help each other. I mean, even, even for us where we just run straight lines, you know, it, it's still that ability to run, jump and throw, which is going to help you. So, um, yes, basically spread your net and just, you know, something will stick at some stage. So, um, and you'll, you really start to enjoy it or enjoy the challenge. So, that's so true yeah I think you're so right and I think back to when I was younger I specialized in running way too soon and then you just feel like young people have a tendency if they're quite good at something and and they're young to almost well I did anyway to become kind of obsessed with it and it became Mm. like you know my identity was that I was a runner so I think by playing lots of sports yeah you you develop lots of skills but you also keep your options wide open and you probably hopefully have a little bit more of a chilled out mindset than Esther when she was 15. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I, I always wanted to to run and I always knew that, but I made sure that I played rugby, excuse me, up until, you know, year 13, seventh form in my day, um, just because it, it kept in it, me in a team environment as well, because I knew athletics was such an individual sport. Um, and I didn't play it seriously. Like I was playing in a weight grade or I'd sort of went in and out of the first 15. I was, I never wanted to be an all black or anything like that, but I knew the importance of playing a different sport and so did my dad. So, you know, I played, I did athletics since I was the age of three, but I also did surf lifesaving and rugby and touch. And I think I even wanted to play softball at some stage just because my mates were playing, but it just didn't sort of fit. But, um, you know, I was playing cricket at home with my with my neighbour down the road. You know, we just did everything. So um, I think that's kind of lost on today's younger generation. Mm. Maybe that's why you got a PB at 33. Well, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. So we've got two quick fire questions to finish. So if you think back to when you were maybe 14 or 15, what would you tell your younger self now with all your wisdom um it's all oh, this is not really quick yeah just just again just enjoying it like I think I was I was probably a bit like yourself I was very serious on athletics and you know sometimes I didn't go out um but looking back I was like maybe I could have just gone to that party you know just had a bit more fun and, and sort of because I mean you you're so serious about it but then the little things of you know meeting up with friends and I mean, we didn't have social media and stuff when I was at 14. So you, you kind of had to go out and connect with your friends. And I just wish I did that a little bit more. I probably did that too much, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> There's balance. There's so balance. Yeah. 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 Um, and last quick fire question, which I'm very intrigued to hear your answer, because as you know, we've only had females and non-binary people on this podcast. So what is your purpose? Ah. Uh, I think just to, just to help people in, in sport. I, lo- I love seeing people reach their goals and, and helping them reach their goals. I think that it gives me a lot of satisfaction and, and, and purpose, you could say. Um, you know, I might not show it or tell them, but, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm usually just sort of sitting little moments, like I say, at the end of the race, and I'm, I'm pretty chuffed with what I've done. And I don't expect athletes to come up and say, 
you're the greatest or thanks so much or, you know, you, I owe everything to you. It's, it's, it's nothing like that and that's not why I do it. I just, I do it because I love track and um, I just love seeing people succeed and, and reach their goals and I like helping people get there, no matter what sport either. Um, I just want to see them reach the goals. I mean, that's the thing. One of my key things too is I never actually got to the Olympics. So as an athlete, I, I want to do everything I can to make sure that I get more than more and more people to the athletics, uh, to the Olympics, sorry. Um, and it doesn't have to be athletics, but I want to see them succeed in, in goals that I, I wasn't able to achieve. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you're definitely helping a lot of people and you're very humble about it. And Esther and I definitely want to say a big thank you for getting us into diocesan and starting to coach young girls at a pretty young age when we started doing that. So we are so grateful because it's obviously got us here to, to FEMI and building this female community. So thank you so much. And thanks for coming on the pod. We're so grateful for all your wisdom. Um, you shared so much with us. And I think so many people are going to learn a lot today and hopefully we can encourage more uh, female, male, and non-binary coaches to become educated um, to work with women better as well. So thank you. No, thank you for having me on. And um, yeah, and thanks for coming into Dio and helping the girls out. I mean, you've you've set a bit, a bit of a legacy in terms of that that distance squad. So um, yeah, the coaches that are there now have, have really got a, some big shoes to fill, but they're, they're doing great. And, um, you know, and I really look forward to, to seeing what Femi does in the future. Thank you. All right. Thank you to listening to this episode with James Mortimer on the FemiPod. If you want to get in touch, you can hit us up on Instagram at femi.co or head to our website, femi.co. Esther and I will be back in your ears next week.